guys, this is Sue Young, and you're listening to the show that calls it Straight Down the Middle, The Whole Reppin' Show. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it Right Down the Middle, The Whole Reppin' Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole reffin' show. My name is Perry Smith. And my name is Darren Beasley. And we have entered episode 90, Darren. We're now in the 90s. So we got to start wearing our flannel uh, button-ups around our waist and... Uh, uh, who is this? Who is this Kurt Cobain fella? He's interesting. <laughs> He's saying some interesting things. What do you mean? Start wearing our flannels around our waist. <laughs> I uh, personally, I never stopped. Right. Well, you're a big Raven got fan. I uh, got my flannel around my waist. I got my cardigan on. Nice, nice. I got my Chuck Taylors, my extremely baggy pants. And we'll listen to the Cardigans and uh, <laughs> also '90s thing. Uh, man, there's a there's a ton of headlines this week. Uh, 20th anniversary of King of the Ring '98, the uh, which is celebrating the whole Mankind Undertaker Hell in a Cell match. Uh, w- worth talking about. Uh, we have a, a story of dog bites man, uh, and uh, fortunately someone passed away this week. Uh, Enzo Amore uh, talking about WWE stuff, uh, injury, uh, channel hopping. There's all kinds of weird stuff to talk about in the headlines this week. Also, we definitely want to take a look at the NXT UK tournament, uh, which concluded. And uh, we're going to talk all about the the two shows on the network. We were going to review them, basically, and uh, give a brief overview of what went on before. Because a lot of this tournament did not take place on television, which is very irritating. The funny thing is, I don't think they could figure out what to televise, where to televise it, when to televise it. And how to brand it. This was very confusing. Uh, it's a good thing that the uh, location was booked properly. Because uh, Royal Albert Hall was an excellent place to, to shoot this special. Or this series of specials. And uh, the wrestling was top notch. But boy, the branding was a mess. Yeah, they must have thought it was a revolution. Because it was not televised. Uh <laughs> That's all I got. Certainly not, <laughs> certainly not the round of 16, and thank you, Gil Scott Heron. There you go. Uh, yeah, uh, Royal Albert Hall uh, was a very cool uh, venue for wrestling. Uh, kind of reminded me of like watching old episodes of Raw, uh, like all the red seating and like the drapery and stuff like that, um, but obviously just darker and bigger. Um, yeah, the uh, I don't know if it was like an optical illusion because of all the red or whatever, but I felt like night one of the tournament didn't look that crowded. I couldn't tell if it was like completely full to capacity or half empty. Uh, <laughs> I must be a pessimist, by the way, um, <laughs> because uh, I don't know. I, I kept like kind of scanning the audience when it did like the long shots to see if there were empty seats. And every time they did one, I didn't see any empty seats. But I don't know something about the, the way it was filmed. Uh, like if you look into the distance, it's so dark you can't tell if there's people there or not. But anyway, um, good crowd, a very loud crowd. Those football hooligans, uh, they love their chance. Uh, and if, man, if, if Vince hates the audiences in America, you must despise the audiences overseas. There's no way that Vince McMahon watched these specials. 
<laughs> if Vince McMahon had watched them, they would never have made it on the network. Right, right, right. I, I, I'll, I'll point out several instances when we start getting into the, the meat of these programs uh, where this is very, very un-WWE, which is very exciting for someone like me who is sort of not too pleased with WWE these days. NXT is offering up a healthy, happy alternative. I'll say that. All right. Well, before we bite into that spicy meats bowl, uh, let's tackle some of them. Headlines. It's the 20th anniversary of the King of the Ring, 1998. King of the Ring pay-per-view, 1998, which featured, among many other things, of course, the reason why it's being celebrated is because this was the Undertaker-Mankind Hell in a Cell match that resulted in 20 years of hell as Mankind went flying off the top of the Hell in a Cell cage through the announce table at ringside, and by God, he's dead. Yeah, it's. I feel bad uh, for this uh, <laughs> for this pay per view uh, because I mean, I mean, I, I, why well, do it? I don't. I should say because everyone remembers it. It's one of those like, did you see the footage of mankind falling off the cage? You know, twice when he fought the Undertaker. I felt bad for the main event because that was not the main event, by the way. Do you remember what the main event was? The main event is uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Kane. Correct. Correct. They had to follow this match, and no one remembers that match because they all remember this. Do you remember who actually won the King of the Ring tournament that year? Um, Was it The Rock? Incorrect. No, wait, okay. Ken Shamrock. The Rock never won King of the Ring. He, He won the Deadly Game Survivor Series tournament to become WWF champion that year. But he did not win King of the Ring. Uh, oh, what? Ken Shamrock? Ken Shamrock did defeating The Rock. Correct. Okay, so that's right, 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 right. You, you right. were on the right track regardless. But uh, yeah, it's just funny because this, is, as often as this pay-per-view is referenced by people, people kind of forget about the other matches that went on because they typically focus on this Hell in the Cell match. You know, I'll tell you one match that absolutely everyone forgets but is like a wet dream for me is The Rock versus Dan Severn in the semifinals. Oh, oh man. I forgot how big of a Dan Severn fan you are. No one should ever forget how big of a Dan Severn fan I am. (laughs) I am the biggest fan of Dan the Beast Severn. And that's not a fat joke. (laughs) Dan Severn hung the moon and the stars, first of all. Let me just just say that. Seven? <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. I'm sorry. Keep he going. He did. Okay, you're uh, a history he teacher, put, so I, I believe he also, you. He also put his hands around my throat at WrestleCon this he, year. He did. I saw and, pictures. Yes. I was like, I was like, ooh, Fifty Shades of Dan Severn. <laughs> no, but at King of the Ring '98, Dan Severn, uh, you know, walks to the ring in his sweaty gray T-shirt and tries to like. Uh, like Matt wrestle the rock and it's so good. It's so good, Perry. I don't think I can go a single episode without comparing what I want wrestling to be in 2018 to what UFC was in 1995. (laughs) Uh, And I'm sorry, but uh, I'm sorry. Not sorry. 
uh, hashtag sorry, not sorry, because The Rock, and this is this is baby The Rock. Like Lawler and Jr. can barely even say The Rock. Like I'm listening to them on commentary say The Rock, and like they're saying it like they've got a mouthful of marbles, not like it would later come off of everyone's tongue. Of course, it's The Rock. It's The Rock. The Rock. Right. They're like The Rock, <laughs> and they're constantly saying like Maya Via and all this, and it's. It's crazy. Well, for them, just, they, they might. I mean, they're they're pretty used to saying like Don the Rock Morocco. You know what I mean? So I mean, maybe to them it was a hard transition. It's kind of, it's kind of like when uh, Butch Reed was like uh, uh, Hacksaw Butch Reed, and it was just kind of like, wait a minute, <laughs> that's Hacksaw <laughs> Jim Duggan's name. So I mean, I I kind of get that. I don't know. Yeah, he when he transitioned to the Rock, um, uh, he was slowly starting to win the crowd over. It wasn't until Breakdown '98. Uh, which has the match that, as much as you love Dan Severn versus The Rock, it has the match that I love from The Rock, which is The Rock versus Mankind versus Ken Shamrock in a triple threat cage match. And it was in Canada, and it was the first time the audience was actually behind The Rock. And that audience is responsible for turning The Rock uh, into a hero. Um, It was... As soon as that happened, and I remember Jerry Lawler was like, it's like Bizarro World here, um, because everyone's cheering for the guy they're supposed to, to not cheer for. Um, like, from then on, like, The Rock was just on fire. So I, I always say that's a, that's a key match in The Rock's career, which no one remembers but me, because I'm the only real The Rock fan. So that's all there is. Uh, dear listeners, Perry is the real OG when it comes to The Rock. I will say that. Thank you. Because they're... There were there were some lean years in terms of rock fandom, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that's not a thin when, joke. <laughs> when when the rock was first coming about, I was not a fan. Um, and and a lot of us, a lot of us in our peer group, were not fans. But you were. You from day one were like that guy. That guy is good now, and he and he will be even gooder. And we were like, no, <laughs> that's Rocky Maivia, and he sucks. Yeah, that's what happens to me. It's like I was a huge fan of Deadpool when he first came out. Everyone's like, nah, he Ooh. sucks. And I was like, no, but this guy. And now, like, he has his own movies, and everyone loves him. And it's like, no, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. I was there on day one. That's some day one-ish right there. Well, you know what? I can't. That I cannot deny. But the, the reason we're talking about King of the Ring 98 <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, is not a, this is not a take you back. Take you back. Do, 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 do. Take you back. Segment on the whole Reffin show. We're just mentioning that it's the 20th anniversary of King of the Ring 1998 because, lest we forget, uh, Mick Foley and Mark Calloway changed wrestling. They changed a lot of things accidentally um that what they did was they god that 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 first bump really which was the far less painful one as we know undertaker throws mankind off the top of the cage at the very beginning of the match and by virtue of the fact that the the actual doctor comes out terry funk comes out as a as a like real life concerned friend (laughs) concerned citizen terry funk comes out right and Vince McMahon comes out not as the Mr. McMahon character, and then they 
they genuinely are like, well, that's it. Sorry. Sorry. There is no match. Yeah. And if not for Mick being lights out upstairs, deciding he had like muscle memory, had to finish this match going back and taking the far more brutal second bump through the roof of the cage onto the ring apron. What, what I think Undertaker and Mankind did was with those two bumps, they inadvertently took that attitude era, hardcore wrestling that was born uh, in a bingo hall in Philadelphia and which Vince McMahon and Eric Bischoff sort of had a love hate push pull relationship with whether or not to push that on their television shows. But I think, you know, that was McMahon going whole hog, you know, or at least, at least mankind and taker going whole hog. And I mean, they wouldn't, I mean, damn, they did some crazy stuff in ECW, but that was, that was a little too dangerous. And it changed, it changed everything. It changed a lot about how wrestling was done and how wrestling was perceived. Like it made, it satiated the, the, the early, (laughs) the early adopting uh, bloodthirsty fans and it gave birth to a whole new generation of bloodthirsty fans. Right. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this uh, recently on the show, but I mean, like I think the, the last time Shane McMahon jumped off the hell in the cell just to do it. But yeah, you watch it then when you're younger and you're like, oh yeah, jump off again, keep doing it. And you watch it when you're a bit older and you're like, oh no, that's so painful. Why would you do that to yourself? You have a family, that kind of thing. So that, that, that's kind of interesting. To, if I watched it, if I went back and watched it now, I'd be kind of like, no, Mick, no, you have kids, you know, but young me's like, yeah, yeah, bleed, bleed. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's a reason why uh, <laughs> when I was 16, it was like, all right, we're going to watch... Uh, we're going to watch ECW Barely Legal, and then we're going to watch Faces of Death. Like, because when you are, when you have no concept of your own mortality, you can watch, you can literally watch train wrecks with, like, enthusiasm. Absolutely. But now, you see uh, Mick Foley crash through the ceiling of that cage, and when Jim Ross says, stop the match damn it that's enough (laughs) whether or not jim ross was was working us i agree like i don't care if that was kayfabe or no like grown man me is is begging for mick foley to stop and be allowed to be taken to the back on that stretcher right whereas 20 years ago on that night i could not i Throw it through the other part of the cage. Throw it through every panel of the cage. Right, <laughs> exactly. There's, there's actually a lot of little things about that match that I always remember. Like, they can't get the gurney to uh, to, to Mick Foley because the hell of the cell is lowered. And the Undertaker is still on top of the hell in the cell. Um, so they have to raise the hell in the cell with the Undertaker who is still on it. And he's still in full character, so he can't be like, well, hold on now, guys, let me get down. So he just... <laughs> So he's already very high up. And then they raise the hell in the cell, and he is just a thousand feet in the air. And it's like, and you can see they keep cutting to him, like, kind of like stomping around. And I think he even kind of steps on that one uh, area that does cave in when he choke slams Mick Foley through it. It's kind of like, oh, oh, God. 
uh, moment for a second there. Uh, I remember that, and I remember when Mankind does come back to the ring and they, he climbs right back up on top of the Hell in the Cell to find Undertaker, which is just the most badass moment in wrestling. Let's, come on, the guy just fell into the, into the commentator's table um, from the Hell in the Cell. He's being taken away, and not like a bullshit way they do it now. We're like, oh, we don't think uh, Brock Lesnar can go a full 15 minutes, so how about he gets taken out for 10 minutes and comes back? Like, it was a legit, like, Mick, we need to get the the back right now to check out to make sure you don't have multiple concussions. And he's just like, no, I have to wrestle the match. And then, you know, they brawl on the very top. It's not very long before the undertaker. Uh, I think Priester choke slams Mick Foley through the top, which it falls. And as Mick Foley will tell you, the worst part about that was when he fell through, there's a chair, a folding chair that falls with him, and it fell. It follows him all the way down. It's about a f- half a foot away from his face. So when he finally does hit the canvas, the chair catches up to his face and smashes him. And it's just like, oh my god! And that's when like his tooth goes through his nose and shit. Um, that whole, I mean, the whole thing is brutal. Not to mention the fact that thumbtacks are introduced and Undertaker choke slams Nick Foley through the thumbtacks and everything. Yeah, and you said, you know, there's the, the little things that stand out. Uh, it's those little things that make all the difference. I'll never understand why Vince McMahon wants everything to be so polished because the more polished, the less realistic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree like, with that. The ver- when Nick Foley goes off the top of the cage the first time, there is not a good camera angle. The, the live shot, you just see him like disappear in the distance. Right. It's not until they show the replay 10,000 times that you get a good shot of it. When it happens, it's like, what just happened? Right. Did he, did he just go off the top? Not, oh my God, he went off the top of the cage, but like, wait, did he go off the top of the cage? Right. And, you know, Jim Ross is screaming... Jerry Lawler is like every weird misstep, like in terms of like how the union workers are are doing their jobs and like whatever Vince may or may not be saying in their earpieces. Lawler is saying all of it out loud. Like Lawler is like, they're raising the cage. Why are they raising the cage? If if (laughs) (laughs) poppies, if Corey Graves acknowledged something like that that they were trying to not bring attention to they would fire him right but there was Lawler going like why are they raising the cage the Undertaker is still on top of the cage <laughs> right and then like Terry Funk getting choke slammed out of his shoes yes I was gonna bring that up yeah like Terry Funk's trying to like buy some time so the second time Mankind falls the like everyone comes back in again to check on uh, McFoley and, uh, and Terry Funk, for some reason, had to be totally unscripted, obviously, is just yeah. like trying to start shit with The Undertaker, and The Undertaker choke slams him out of his sneakers. <laughs> and then here's another really strange moment. Uh, after these two devastating bumps, Mankind uh, knocks The Undertaker out of, out of uh, old school. And Undertaker... You know, he falls on the top rope and then bumps to the apron and then to the outside. Mankind goes to get the stare. Like, go. And as we know, Mick Foley has no memory of any of this. He yeah. was on autopilot. I mean, he was he was out cold and yet fully functional. 
and he goes after the uh, ring steps on the on the on the camera side. All he manages to do is like loosen them and then try to pick them up, and then I think he realizes, "Hey, my left arm doesn't work," <laughs> and so he just stops. And then, like, starts wandering back down beside the ring. And then the Undertaker goes and gets them instead. And then gets a running start and hits Mankind in the head with the steps. But if you stop and look at that moment, and especially 20 years later, and you realize that Mick Foley was (laughs) unconscious and yet on two feet, it's a very strange, disturbing moment to watch. Because you're like... I mean, I honestly don't understand why The Undertaker did not just force him to the mat and hold him down for a three count. Like, which which Mick Foley's had to do before when he fought Sandman in ECW, and he accidentally knocked out the Sandman on his feet, and Sandman kept kicking out of the three counts, and I think, <laughs> I think Mick Foley had to, like, hold him down or legit knock him out uh, to finally get Sandman to lose the match he was supposed to lose, or... I forget how it ends, but that's he's, it's happened to him before. Yeah. Well, and then, you, you know, like uh, Sting having to, to force Jeff Hardy down. When Jeff, Hardy, <laughs> yes. it, when Jeff Hardy was so screwed up in TNA and Eric Bischoff was like, nope, just, just pin him. I right. don't care. I'm really surprised Undertaker didn't do that uh, in that moment. But instead, they, they finished the match. And it's just, it's amazing. But... 20, here we are, 20 years later, tip of the hat to Mick Foley. Um, you know, I do kind of want to go back in time and uh, stop Hitler. But then after stopping Hitler, <laughs> I want to, to go uh, say to Mick Foley, uh, bring up those, you know, those words of wisdom from Heathers and say, Mick, teenage suicide, don't do it. Yes. Uh, you know, because that is... You're wrecking your body and your mind. You are a young man in 1998, McFoley. You are a young man, and uh, you're going to take years off your life uh, for this one match. Is it worth it? Probably. <laughs> that's the that's the sad reality. It's probably worth it. McFoley will die two to three years <laughs> earlier than he should. Than he should. Right. I mean, if it was a wrestler that there was nothing else to really like talk about or nothing else noteworthy in their career. And it's like, well, thank God I fell off the cage when I did. So otherwise, you know, people wouldn't talk about me, but Mick Foley's done plenty of stuff. The mankind stuff, Cat Jack stuff, dude loves stuff, of course. But anyway, happy 20th King of the ring, uh, for, uh, especially for Mark Calloway, AKA the undertaker and Mick Foley, AKA mankind. That'll be on our hearts forever. And certainly on the WWE network, uh, however long it exists. Well, it'll be on there then, now, and forever. Oh, yes, of course. There you go. You know who's saying that, don't you? <laughs> they are. They are. <laughs> uh, moving on, something that will not uh, be shown on the network, uh, not that I'm aware of. Uh, Shins- let's, hope, let's hope not. Yeah, really. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, you you wrestling fans. Uh, it's typically, he's not, he's never in the headlines. He doesn't do anything but surf. Uh, you know, if you look yeah. at his Instagram, he does a lot of surfing. Um, unfortunately, this happened to Shinsuke uh, last uh, last yeah last Tuesday uh, at SmackDown. Uh, he was scheduled to actually face Jeff Hardy. Speaking of Jeff Hardy, 
Uh, I, I don't remember if it was going to be a title match or not. Uh, Jeff Hardy, current U.S. champion. Um, but Shinsuke was actually bitten by a canine unit backstage at the arena they were at. Um, I think it was uh, the dog was there for like um, was it like like a bomb sniffing unit or something like that. Like it was it was like a bomb sniffing searching drill. Um, and we don't have like details. I'm sure Shinsuke didn't like didn't wave a, a a ham at the dog or something like that and say, "Hey, bite this." Um, but I, he maybe he just pet the dog and the dog was like, "Oh, you, you you're a bomb," and bit him. Um, I, I don't know details, but that's what happened. Is there, is there, regardless. This dog is not behaving uh, properly because I hope they're not training the, the canines to bite the bombs when they find them. <laughs> I hope these are not suicide canine units. They, hey man, whatever, what, however they get the job done, they'll do it. I, I just hope uh, Shinsuke didn't uh, Kinshasa the, the dog for uh, uh, biting him. Uh, he seems like I a pretty would, peaceful I would guy. Have. <laughs> You would give it a dog a Kinshasa. We just we just lost our dog loving fans. Jonas, I'm so sorry. Darren said that. Uh, we apologize uh, to our friend Jonas, who loves dogs more than well people. So well, he does, and uh, that's not weird. Um, by the way, by the way, folks, if you love dogs, maybe you want to check out our good friend Jonas Black's new podcast, Heroly. All about dogs. Uh, I, I listened to a couple episodes hoping to hear about cats. Never did. But if you like dogs, you have found yourself a new podcast, folks. Jonas Black, Hero Lee. Check it out. Why did you listen to a dog podcast hoping you would hear about cats? I almost trolled. That's like a, that's like a, that's like a Yankees fan listening to a Red Sox podcast. It's well, like you're not going to hear anything. And if you do, you're going to hear something you don't like. Right. Yeah. Well, I actually almost trolled him. I didn't tell him this because um, he, he, he'll he like uh, post like live podcasts on Facebook. And I, I wanted to like write in a question, which was, why are cats better than dogs? Uh, but I was like, ah, he's live. I don't want to do that to him. <laughs> so I didn't do it. But anyway, check out that podcast, folks. So the whole Shinsuke thing, obviously, I mean, I th- he went to get treatment for his uh, injury, his wound. Um, it's something he did, though I'm sure Vince will make him suffer for it. Oh, it's too late. He already did that. Um, <laughs> Vince has already made Shinsuke Nakamura suffer far greater than if Shinsuke actually deserved uh, to be made suffer. So, Well, you know, WWE is in Japan as we speak. And in Tokyo, Shinsuke was supposed to face AJ Styles for the WWE title in front of his home crowd, his home country, and yet he did not do so. He came to the ring. He's on crutches. I mean, how bad is this dog bite that the man is on crutches? Hmm. Like, I'm waiting for the follow-up report that tells me what really happened. I mean, how severe is this bite? Yeah, I like more details on that. But that that is the reason why Shinsuke was uh, suspiciously absent from SmackDown. Uh, more on that as it develops, folks. Obviously, we wish Shinsuke well. You know I do. He's one of my favorites. No matter how poorly WWE treats him, I remember the good times. Matt Capitelli. The whole reference show is saddened to hear of the passing of Matt Capitelli. Matt Capitelli came on to the scene uh, on the radar of individuals uh, like myself and Perry and our peer group uh, when we were much younger. And uh, we were part of that uh, 
Attitude Era, Monday Night War, teenage generation that loved stuff like King of the Ring 98, loved what was happening in ECW, loved the NWO and DX and The Rock. and uh, Hot on the heels of all that success, MTV jumped into the arena and started the show Tough Enough, a reality show competition-based to give a contract to a big wrestling fan or uh, uh, someone who aspired to be in wrestling. And uh, by season three, Tough Enough was more popular than ever, and we'd seen Tough Enough winners make it to the main roster, make an impact, make a difference. Uh, And season three of Tough Enough would be no different. It would have co-winners, Matt Capitelli, who maybe not all you dear listeners remember or know about, and John Hennigan. John Hennigan, of course, we would come to know as Johnny Nitro, John Morrison, Johnny Mundo, Johnny Impact. Um, he, He shared the stage that night as a winner of Tough Enough 3 with Matt Capitelli. Matt Capitelli... Uh, reported to OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling, and uh, spent a lot of time in quote-unquote development there with John Hennigan, um, with a a future Tough Enough winner, Mike Mazanin, of course, we know uh, as The Miz. And uh, Capitelli would train in OVW, and he would be an all-around nice guy, friend to all, and uh, successful uh, appearing on Raw, appearing on other WWE programming, And certain plans had been put into motion for Capitelli to to become a a major player uh, once he got to WWE. But before any of that could happen, he was uh, unfortunately diagnosed with a cancerous brain tumor in 2006. 2006 basically saw an end of Matt Capitelli's uh, promising wrestling career. Well, It's been 12 years since then, and in that 12 years, Matt Capitelli has fought and defeated cancer. He has struggled in his battle, and unfortunately, uh, as of this recording today, he lost his life. He lost his battle to cancer. Um, It takes his life. He was 38 years of age, far, far too young to find your way into a grave. And unfortunately, Matt Capitelli lost not only his uh, his true calling of a career, but also his life. So we are sad to say uh, uh, farewell to Matt Capitelli. Absolutely. Uh, very, very tragic when, of course, anyone loses their lives, especially at that young age. That makes me think about like uh, how Tough Enough winners or even people who would just appear on the show Tough Enough, which for those who don't know is basically just WWE training camp, but they make it into a reality TV show. Um, I mean, it's not it's not just a TV show where they have to fake the motions. I mean, it's it's real training. You actually do the training that it takes to become a competitor in the ring. And a lot of people kind of are, are down on those people, like if that's how they get in. I guess it's kind of like, you know, doing American Idol or something like that. But it's like... This is just one of many ways to get in. Why, why would you be down on people, you know, who who go through that? I mean, they they were they were put in a ring and they, you know, every day and they trained and worked hard and you know they they put in the work and got reprimanded when they didn't do well. And there's like stories of like Bob Holly being a piece of shit on that show to uh, people on the show. And well, yeah, and Matt Capitelli 
is one of those people. Matt yes. Capitelli famously assaulted by Bob Holly. Call it what you will. Call it stiff training. Call it breaking you into the business. You know, call it call it whatever you want. You can even attach the dirty stigma of hazing. You know what? It's worse than that, Bob Holly. It's assault. You don't get to beat up people who voluntarily put their trust in you not to hurt them. You know, I don't care if, you know, Hulk Hogan had his leg broken the first time he tried to break into wrestling and everybody laughs about it. And that, that when, on what planet is that cool? Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, who am I? Right. Right. Other than the incredible badass that is Darren (laughs) Beasley. Right. The point of the point of wrestling training is to learn how to not hurt people. That is the entire point of, of training to become a wrestler. Um, you know, and I'm, when you have someone who is a piece of shit like Bob Holly, I've only ever heard the worst shit about Bob Holly. You know, who is obviously upset that he was never champion. You know that he never had his day in the sun because he was—he's a poor wrestler and even more of a poor person, apparently. Uh, so I don't feel bad for that at all, Bob Holly. I don't yeah, feel bad for you. This is a, actually this is a perfect way to. <laughs> Uh, Talk about how big of a piece of shit Bob Holly is. It is. It is, actually. Actually, it's a perfect way to, to actually do our next topic. We were going to talk about the artist formerly known as Enzo Amore, now calling himself Real One, uh, making his first public statement about his WWE release, everything that was going on at the time, what happened with the release, what has happened since then. And uh, all of this was done on Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast <laughs> sure if you want to hear from him about wrestling whatever <laughs> it doesn't get much more high profile than stone cold steve austin when it comes to wrestling podcasts and the whole rough and show of course we're, so we're right there with them we are we are and that's why we are feel compelled to comment here at this moment <laughs> but you know uh enzo amore eric art real one whatever you want to call him he had a lot to say uh, we're not going to cover everything he said, because if you want to hear that, you just listen to that other podcast. Right. But, but, but what I want to do is I want to touch on, and again, truly uh, and sincerely RIP to Matt Capitelli. Uh, but, uh, you know, Matt Capitelli being assaulted on Tough Enough by Bob Holly because Bob Holly had his ass on his shoulders because he didn't like the fact that the business was being exposed on on an MTV reality show. He didn't he didn't like the fact that Al Snow and Ivory and even Taz, even the hard ass Taz, were going to go on MTV and allow themselves to be recorded saying, "All right, this is how you do this move to not hurt someone." Right, right. So Bob Holly and all of his infinite ignorance. And bastardry decides, I'll just actually hurt them because that's who I am and that's how I think this business should work. Well, guess what? Bob Holly, that's not how the business should have ever worked. I'm not saying that's not how it did because it most definitely did. But it's not how it should have ever worked. By the time Tough Enough came around, it damn sure should have gone the way of the dodo. And in 2018... I'm with Real One. I am with Enzo Amore, 
who apparently stood up to Triple H in a closed-door meeting and said, I am trying to change the world, when Triple H told him, stop trying to change the world. <laughs> because Enzo said, I am trying to change the world, and I'm trying to change the world starting with how wrestling works backstage. You know, and of course, without turning in this, this into another two-hour rant against you know, uh, all of the injustices of kayfabe and all of the, the bullshit that surrounds uh, a, the, a closed off and exclusive business where marks are marks and boys are boys and Paul Lazenby is on top of the mountain without doing that. I actually won't do that. I will use, I will, I will tell our dear listeners to remember mine and Perry's rant in response to Paul Lazenby and Don Callis. And, and remember that when I say that Enzo, for all of his many faults, and apparently they are many, he at least is purported, and you know who's saying it, he is, but he is saying, you know, he dressed separately, he, did, he refused to participate in hazing, he refused to participate in wrestler's court, he, you know, a lot of the things that he was uh, blamed for were stuff that anybody would do. But wrestlers are somehow supposed to, by osmosis or telepathy, know not to do. And then, of course, when they inadvertently, accidentally do it, they're lambasted for being green or being a nobody or being a mark or whatever. You know, it's that mentality that causes Bob Holly to beat up Matt Capitelli. It's that mentality that causes Paul Lazenby to bow up at John Bring. It's that mentality that causes somebody, who knows, Brooklyn Brawl, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers because I don't know, and Enzo was honest enough not to point fingers himself and call anyone out, but it's got to be somebody, it's got to be some old, 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 old school person, like, and again, not saying that's who it is, but who could it be? Who are the old Vince himself, the Brooklyn Brawler, Harvey Whippleman, Arn Anderson, Fit Finley? I mean, who are the true old guard that are even left right. backstage at WWE these days? But if, if hazing and wrestlers court and, and all that BS is still happening, it's got to be those guys. Because there's no way, you know, The Miz isn't doing that to anyone. Well, you, I mean, really, it's it's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's like joining a fraternity or a sorority or a fucking football team or, you know, a fucking band. Like, I mean, there there's, it's always that hazing and, uh, oh, the new people, we got to, like, put them through the ringer. And then those people go like, oh, that sucks, but I can't wait to do it to other people because I'll be, you know, someone who's already in. Um, it's, it's like the story that recently came up with the Hardys about, like, they did their first show and, like, Bradshaw threw their... Threw all their like uh, luggage and suitcases in the dumpster outside because he thought it'd be hilarious. It's like, well, what the fuck is the point of that? Like, what if like that's all they have in the world? What if they have like irreplaceable family heirlooms in their luggage? It's like, oh, I threw it away. You know, it's that's just ridiculous. So there's no place for that. But um, I guess we're basically transitioned into what we're talking about with Enzo More, Real One. Uh, his conversation with Steve Austin on his podcast. Uh, where, yeah, like I said, Enzo talks a lot about, you know, what goes on backstage and stuff like that. And Enzo, notorious for his backstage antics, uh, you hear 
once a month there was some sort of article about like an argument he got into like on a bus or you know just backstage in general um which is all very interesting and one of the many aspects uh, there are two love about wrestling besides what you see on TV is what you do not see on TV. And God, if, if you need a story, look, look no further than the world of professional wrestling. It's full of very interesting uh, stories. And Enzo Amore himself, real one, uh, has no shortage of them. And, and you know, it's he said, he said. It really is. Uh, all those bad stories about Enzo, was he truly just being an obnoxious asshole and it was intolerable and people got sick of it? Or... Was he doing his best to challenge a system he didn't agree with and it rubbed the wrong people the wrong way? Meanwhile, the rest of everyone was sort of stuck in a position of observer and they had to either fundamentally, personally, genuinely disagree or they had to pretend to so that they didn't look complicit in Enzo's actions or they just stood idly by and let everything play out regardless Enzo was often a man uh, without a country and now he's a man without a job and uh, according to him he doesn't want that job back Um, you know I had some people uh, ask me was Enzo's visit to Steve Austin's podcast simply uh, an effort to get his job back and I said uh, absolutely not Uh, if anything it was the opposite he made it very clear Uh, He doesn't want a job back. He doesn't want a job back in the atmosphere where he was treated the way he was treated, uh, which was guilty until proven innocent. Right. Um, You know, it's a a tricky thing. Um, But I've always said, you know, the world is a tricky place. The best you can hope for is consistency. Um, When consistency is an issue, then fairness is really does come into play fairness or a lack thereof so who knows again i'm a big fan of enzo i was glad to hear that he was uh cleared of the charges against him um i said for a long time i doubt that he as a man is innocent but i had hoped he was at least not guilty and um by virtue of the fact that no charges were even pressed one can imagine Uh, regardless of innocence, he certainly is not guilty uh, of the most heinous of crimes that have been levied against him. Again, in the court of public opinion, in Twitter, and in Twitter only. So, best wishes, uh, at least from me, uh, on Enzo, whatever he he, he chooses to do from here. I'd love to see him wrestle again. Highly entertaining. Very, very exciting part of WWE over the last few years. And uh, too too good to last, right? The brightest flame burns quickest. (laughs) Yes, I I agree with that. Um, Someone who will not be making an appearance on Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast anytime soon, uh, because right now he is suffering from a broken jaw, according to NXT, one Lars Sullivan. Uh, who did sustain a broken jaw in his match against Aleister Black at NXT TakeOver Chicago. Um, And like we talked about it in our head-to-head... Head-to-head! ...review of uh, TakeOver Chicago, uh, yeah, Lars Sullivan had a a pretty bloody mouth 
uh, toward the end, and they really had to make up for that horribly botched uh, black mass kick by uh, doing a basically a real one, a real spinning roundhouse kick right into the right into the the the, the cake hole of one Lars Sullivan. And uh, it looked pretty painful. And like I said, his mouth looked pretty jacked up uh, after the match was done. But man, did that kick look great. <laughs> you know, uh, well, uh, maybe a broken jaw is worth uh, years and years of replays. Who's to say? Who's to say? If I'm Lars Sullivan, I'm not feeling too happy about it right now. Um, if, that is a, if that is a shoot uh, x-ray, that is, that is a severe break. Right. I mean... Alistair Black almost literally kicked his head in half. <laughs> that you, is a clean break right through the jaw. Do you think that it's like his 20th anniversary KOTOR Hell in the Cell moment right there? Like, ah, uh, remember the time Alistair Black almost kicked my head off my neck? Uh. <laughs> it certainly could be. I mean, I, I'm hoping that we get many, many, many more epic moments out of both Aleister Black and Lars Sullivan in their NXT and hopefully WWE careers. But uh, this definitely could be uh, something to remember, something to remember this moment by. Um, That was a match worth remembering, and that is an injury Lars Sullivan is unlikely to ever forget. So, of course, we hope uh, Lars Sullivan can get that job as fixed and return to action as soon as possible. I like Lars Sullivan a lot. I really enjoy watching him wrestle. Um, and we've, we've said this a bunch in the show, but, I mean, he's just a believable, menacing big man. And those are kind of few and far between uh, in NXT. <laughs> so it's it's nice to see him there. Uh, so, yeah, get, uh, get well soon, big man. And uh, we look forward to your return. Speaking of NXT, NXT may find its new home uh, on the... F- FS1 channel, Fox Sports 1, uh, this is a done deal? Uh, I don't know. I'm, 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 what's up with that? Is it a done deal? I, I is, is it is it a crocodile done deal, Darren? <laughs> oh, God. Are we talking about crocodile Dundee again yeah. on the whole wrestling show? Hey, man, crocodile Dundee is my Dan Severin, okay? <laughs> Paul Hogan hangs the moon and the stars. That's all I'm going to say. Wow, well, maybe Paul Hogan will also put his hands around your throat. <laughs> I hope so. At WrestleCon. He'll put, the, he'll put the, the very large knife to my throat and go, that's not a knife, that's a knife. If Paul Hogan doesn't do it, maybe Hulk Hogan will do it. <laughs> Whatever. I'll, I'll take either one. I'm not, I'm not choosing. Oh, well, I, yeah, FS1, it's Fox Sports 1. It's the sister network to Fox Sports. Like, it's... It's if it's FS one, but I think it's more like Fox Sports two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming that this is part. This is WWE sweetening the deal with Fox for taking over SmackDown. Um, SmackDown Live, of course, now moving to the Fox Network in 2019. It will be live still SmackDown Live, but on Friday nights. So when are they going to air NXT? And does this mean they take it off the network? I think that's a terrible idea. Do they add an hour to it? Then I think it's a good idea. That'd that'd (laughs) be interesting, especially with uh, all the new NXT UK acquisitions. Um, Now you have a, I mean, you already had a very large roster. I mean, we've seen what NXT can do with two hours. Just watch any takeover. 
Um, so if if they can have that kind of consistency on a two hour weekly show, man, that would be that that, that that's more promising than SmackDown. Oh, it most definitely is. I, I think if you tar if you if you advertise it right and you find the right audience, I guarantee you NXT on FS1 could draw bigger ratings than SmackDown Live. Absolutely. But I really don't want them to take it off of the network. I also don't want them to like put a delay, like a two-month delay, like they do with Raw and SmackDown, uh, as far as the network is concerned. Or maybe it's even longer than that. Like I don't watch Raw and SmackDown on the network because they're so far gone by the time they ever hit the network that... You know, if I'm going to go back and watch a Raw on the network, I'm going to go back and watch one from 98 or 96 or something crazy. I'm not going to watch one from five months ago. Right. And so I really don't want NXT to end up in that same kind of cycle. That would really suck. And if they think just because they're about to add NXT UK TV show to the network that that's enough and now we're just going to push and regular NXT off to to a television network. One, that is not the way television programming is trending. So it seems like a step backward for WWE, who seems very ahead of the curve here. Like, I'm very proud of them for having the network and having had the network for four years now. It, it seems like something Vince McMahon, believe it or not, would catch on to kind of late. But this over-the-top streaming network, like, very progressive. Very progressive for WWE. And it seems weird to take any step backward. Are you saying four more years? Four more years? Four more years? I'm saying 40 more years. Right. 40 more years. It's, uh, It's smart, obviously. Vince owns so much of wrestling library in general. I mean, not just WWE, WWF, WCW, ECW. I mean, you go to the network, you'll see there's a there's a very large variety of, of stuff to watch. Um, I mean, as, as far as I don't see anything uh, trailblazing about the WWE network besides the fact that it's like it just has such a big library. I mean, he is following the trend of everyone kind of going like, oh, well, you want to watch all of our programming from the last you know X amount of years? Well, there's a network for you for only nine ninety nine. I mean, like, everyone's doing that. So much stuff's being pulled off of Hulu now. All the Disney stuff's leaving, um, you know, uh, Netflix so Disney can do their own streaming service and stuff like that. So, I mean, everyone's kind of wisening up because Netflix and Hulu are making all this money. They're like, well, we'll just have our own apps then with all of our stuff, and it'll cost 10 bucks a month, and people want to watch that. I mean, so it's, it's, it's almost like the days of Netflix and Hulu are kind of numbered more or less as more things kind of leave to be like, well, that was a successful business model. Don't mind if I do. And I'll do it myself. I'll go to business for myself. Um, so, but anyway, I, I, I do appreciate the network. Um, and uh, like, and speaking of the network, that does kind of make you wonder, does NXT, obviously, which is a network exclusive, it now leaves the network. And how long until we get NXT playing on the network, you know, into the log of episodes, like, I wonder about that. Does it mean NXT is going to be on Hulu? I mean, it already is on Hulu, um, but I don't know. Like, it's it's there's a lot of things that are like, uh, with the whole Fox getting involved into everything. So it's it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I Sometimes I really love 
these type of weird shakeups when it comes to big money contracts. These superstar shakeups. Yeah. But like, sometimes I like it because it just forces something to change. I just happen to hate this one because it might have uh, a negative effect on my favorite WWE product. Right. What can you do? Complain about it on your podcast. Oh, that's well, we'll do that. Yay! That's why we do it, folks. That's why we do it for the big bucks and the complaints. <laughs> And that's going to do it for headlines this week, but we still have a lot to talk about, dear listeners. We have the United Kingdom Championship Tournament. Two nights, two brands, one building. We'll try to make sense of it. We promise you it was a good show, and uh, we have a lot to say about it. Coming up right about now. The United Kingdom Championship Tournament It was held on the 18th and 19th of June, 2018, and aired on the 25th and 26th of June, 2018. Two nights, two network specials. The first night, it was advertised as the WWE United Kingdom Championship Tournament. The second night, it was advertised as the NXT United Kingdom Championship Tournament. And while that sounds very confusing, we will explain why as the episode wears on. It was very confusing, especially when I turned it on to watch all the action. And the night one says, like, the tournament continues. And I was just like, okay, well, it can't continue if it's night one. Where's night one? I'm confused. Darren, please explain why. Well, okay. All right, so, right, when, as I was explaining what was confusing, I failed to explain the, the most confusing part, which is that <laughs> night one isn't even night one. <laughs> Pretty uh, night one is actually night three. <laughs> oh, WWE, just go on with your nonsense. Hey, WWE, you did it. <laughs> All right, so, so the big picture here is WWE really wants this UK brand to survive. And part of the way that they will do this is they uh, have allowed the UK championship to be defended on NXT television, on WWE television, 205 Live, etc., etc. And in the last 18 months, they did at least have one more UK-based special. Well, in order to keep interest up and, of course, uh, guide us all, uh, all of us horses, they're trying to take us to the water and make us drink it, um, they decided to have another championship tournament. So basically, it would be exactly like the introduction of the WWE UK brand uh, 18 months ago, where there was a championship tournament. Of course, Tyler Bate won that tournament, was the inaugural WWE UK champion. So this tournament was sort of, let's restart that. The only difference, of course, is the winner of the tournament doesn't become the champion, but becomes the number one contender to the current WWE UK champion, Pete Dunne, who defeated Tyler Bate for that well, it's worth mentioning, there have only been two UK champions thus far. Tyler Bate, who the inaugural champion, 
And of course, Pete Dunne was the current champion. And very quickly, Pete Dunne can have a good match with anyone, by the way. He really can. Pete Dunne, uh, when next my top 10 comes around, Pete Dunne will definitely make an appearance. I am always impressed by Pete Dunne. Not, actually, not impressed by his, uh, his, his attempts at growing a beard, but... Uh, <laughs> which, by the way, on, I think on night two, which was really night four, uh, he, uh, he goes from no, completely clean-shaven to a beard when he comes out at the end and, and kind of faces down the winner of the tournament. I was like, wait, what? What just happened here? If you watch it, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. But all, believe okay. me, all of a sudden, Pete Dunn goes from clean shaven to has a has a beard. That is, that's very confusing. It's very confusing. That that, that doesn't help the confusion of this entire tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, and I'm 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 definitely jumping ahead. I'm we're getting ahead of ourselves by me asking this question. But now that the uh, halfway through night one, aka night three, um, <laughs> we we learn that Triple H is rebranding WWE UK as NXT UK. So I wonder, are they going to change that belt to the NXT UK Championship, or if it will remain the WWE? UK championship, but it will be the top belt on NXT UK television. <laughs> only time will tell. Only time will tell. Yeah. But here we are. Fair question. Uh, Fair question. On the 25th of June, watching something that was taped on the 18th of June, and it is night one of two, aka night three of four. <laughs> and the first two nights, the actual first two nights, were not televised at all. Of course not. In fact, the 8th of it, June... It would take WWE owning a network to televise every single part of this tournament. Well, apparently uh, on the 10th of May, so we're going back almost two months now, the 10th of May NXT tapings saw some of the matches in the round of 16. And... On the 8th and the 9th of June in England at the Download Music Festival, there were other matches from the round of 16 in the UK Championship Tournament to crown the number one contender to Pete Dunne's WWE UK Championship. And we will tell you the results sort of de facto as we go over the quarterfinals, a.k.a the round of eight. And that is where this show begins. So if you go to the network and you go to WWE UK championship tournament and you watch night one, this is what you will see. You will see the quarter finals of the championship tournament from the Royal Albert hall in London, England. And it is a spectacular location. Despite the fact that the red seats confused the shit out of you, <laughs> I will say it's pretty cool that this almost century and a half year old building commissioned by Queen Victoria uh, would be the site of, of such an excellent um, uh, wrestling product, an excellent site for an excellent product, excellent venue for an excellent show. Let's get into the quarterfinals themselves. Jack Gallagher 
who in the round of 16 defeated Drew Gulak to earn this spot in the quarterfinals, takes on Zach Gibson, Liverpool's number one, who defeated Amir Jordan in the round of 16 to get that, here. That's not very now, nice to say, uh, Darren. He's he's not just some mere Jordan. I mean, he's he's, he's very good. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was I was dying to make that joke. <laughs> okay, cross that joke out. All right, all right, we, I made it. I made it. Okay. Well, Jack Gallagher, gentleman Jack Gallagher, takes on Zach Gibson, and I tell you what, uh, this is not the Jack Gallagher that you see on 205 Live or on WWE programming. No, this is the real Jack Gallagher. This is indie wrestling Jack Gallagher. This is British wrestling Jack Gallagher. This is cruiserweight classic Jack Gallagher, which is the Jack Gallagher that I thought was really badass. You mean the 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 very, very over Jack Gallagher who should have been cruiserweight champion Jack Gallagher who made WWE Universe love him? Even though they should not have loved him, Jack Gallagher, the one they they built up and then just shit on. And then the, the one they put in street clothes and made him come out and be a parody of himself, Jack Gallagher. You are very unique. Let's change that. Well, I tell you what. Gallagher and Gibson here in this, in this match, this is a long, long, long match. Probably one of the longest of both nights. Um... Back and forth, inventive offense from Gallagher. Like I said, it's exactly what you want to see out of Jack Gallagher. And then this match, this match really begins the great tradition uh, of of footy hooligans and their chants, uh, bringing them over into the wrestling world. Those British uh, crowd chants. Like, if you hate Zach Gibson, stand up. Yeah. It took me, it took me a while to realize what they were saying, all because of their, their accents. So some of the chants are like, wait, what are they saying? I, I know I know. on night two, a.k.a. night four, they say if you hate Zach Gibson, not that he continues, <laughs> if you hate Zach Gibson, uh, take your shoe off. So it's everyone standing up and holding their shoe up. Anyway. That is amazing. <laughs> I want to go to England to watch wrestling. To watch wrestling, yes. (laughs) I also want to go to England because, like Eddie Izzard said, uh, of course, that's where history comes from. Right. But now I also want to go because I want to stand up and take my shoe off (laughs) because I hate Zach Gibson. Okay, fair enough. No, Zach Gibson, uh, as we will learn in this match and on night two, a.k.a. night four, uh, Zach Gibson will move on. He defeats Jack Gallagher. He uh, he does the ticket to ride, uh, a move that he does that uh, basically knocks the air out of you, and then he puts on a wicked arm submission called the Shankly Gate, and uh, that's how he defeats Jack Gallagher. Yeah, Zach, that- Zach Gibson has the uh, unfortunate uh, burden... <laughs> Of being from Liverpool. And uh, anyone is from Liverpool immediately is compared to the Beatles out of Liverpool. So no one can ever live up to the standards of the fucking Beatles. It, it, it's almost like being like, uh, you know, the other Hemsworths. Like, and, and you're you're not Chris Hemsworth. It's like, well, nah, I'm, I'm watered down Hemsworth, you know what I mean? Or any of the Baldwins that are not Alec Baldwin. You know, it's just it's just kind of the way it is, so. 
I, I thought of that though. I was watching this, and they're like, uh, when they call them the, the terror of Liverpool or something like that. What do they call them? Liverpool's number one. Oh, that's right. Liverpool's number one. And I, I thought I was like, man, it would just suck to be from Liverpool now, right? I mean, that's that 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 is such a stand-up routine right there. Like anyone but else will, who's from Liverpool. <laughs> but I will say, and I'll get into this more later. The fact that it that it demands uh, mention of the Beatles, Mauro Ronaldo and Nigel McGuinness, who are doing the call here on both nights, don't shy away from it. Oh, not I at feel all. Like, I feel like Michael Cole and whoever's and whoever else would probably not say that. But I'll talk about that more later. Well, the, the move is Second, called Ticket to Ride, for God's sake, which is definitely worth mentioning the Beatles. That's a Beatles song, for those who don't no, know. I, I know, but it's just part of a bigger thing that was going on in terms of the announcing that I want to talk about later. Okay. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, Zach Gibson not only does a move called Ticket to Ride, he does a move called Helter Skelter. Yeah. And right. it's like, okay, really? Um <laughs> And then, of course, as finisher, everyone's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if I become a professional wrestler, that's going to be my finisher. Uh, yep. And, but, of course, you'll, your manager will have to be a monkey. No, no, it can't make any sense. It has to be completely out of context. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, what if you wrestle as – what if you become – Space Monkey number two. I'd say if if I tag team with Space Monkey, then <laughs> it'll make sense. So but, I never, I can never I do think, that. I think Space Monkey should become a gimmick like Mister Wrestling, and so there should be. <laughs> <laughs> and you might actually be older than Space Monkey, so like <laughs> by the time he retires. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna give it to me who is way past retirement and not in any kind of shape. You you must be space monkey now. Okay. And you'll be space you'll be a sixty eight year old space monkey number two. But hey, your finisher <laughs> will be called Everybody's Got Something to Hide except for me and my monkey. Worth it, Darren. Worth it. And I will I will wrestle Jushin Liger, who will still be wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right, next up in the quarterfinals of the UK Championship Tournament, Joe Coffey takes on Dave Mastiff. Joe Coffey had to defeat Tucker to get here. Dave Mastiff defeated Kenny Williams. Both of those matches taking place in the round of 16. But here in the round of eight, the quarterfinals, Coffey and Mastiff go at each other in what I can only call a battle of the beasts. Is his name Mastiff or is it Massive? Yeah, it should be Massive. Yes. Because just like large... Let's say Ma- Massive and Large Sullivan should go at it. When um, Lars is feeling better, of course. Yeah, okay. Joe Coffee. Joe Coffee is enormous. Until Dave Mastiff gets in the ring, right? And that, that's kind of a, uh, obviously they put them together to have two big men, but I felt it was a misstep because Joe Coffey is very big, but not next to the other guy. He's not, <laughs> and and also because Joe Coffey is still pretty big, it makes Massive look not as massive as he actually is. I, you know, and I understand what you're saying, and uh, purely in terms of of marketing them. Yeah, maybe not a great idea, but in terms of the matchup, 
I mean, this to me, and these guys are not true, true giants. Um, so forgive this comparison, but it's like Andre versus Big John Stud in a body slam match. I was gonna say, I was gonna say like one man gang versus Bam Bam, like where they're they're yeah. both comparable size. One man gang though definitely has a height advantage over you know Bam Bam, but which, which by the way, I, I'm <laughs> very quickly. Uh, there's a match where Andre the Giant's in there. I forget which match it is. But uh, Big John Studd is the referee. And it's like, why would you have Big John Studd as the referee for Andre the Giant match? You make Andre look not that much of a giant. He's just slightly taller than the fucking referee. Anyway, uh, I forget what match it is. Some of you fans are right now going, It's this match, Perry. I should have my own podcast. Then you make your own podcast, folks. You bleed, <laughs> you sweat, and you tear. A.K.A. cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I, I will never use the verb cry again <laughs> man i teared all night last night i was just uh, tearing my eyes out and then and then of course that that it doesn't work because that sounds stupid but it'll sound even more stupid if you ever put it in writing because everyone will read it as tear oh of course i was, I was tearing all night I teared my eyes out. <laughs> oh, God, that's horrible. Not, not I tore my eyes out. No. I teared them out. I teared them out. Oh, boy, we are dumb sometimes. Okay. <laughs> well, but the thing is, we're, we're smart more than we're dumb. Are you still with us, fans? I hope so. Give me more of this match. Give me more Joe Coffey versus Dave Mastiff in wrestling. Give me more of it on NXT UK which we don't know exists yet, but <laughs> <laughs> give it to me there. Give it to me on Raw or SmackDown. Give it to me in New Japan. Give it to me in ROH. I need more of this in wrestling. We are eyeballs deep in the era of Ricochet Osprey. You know, we, we are eyeballs deep in Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins. I dig it. I don't want that to go away, but I need the big man to come back. I need slugfests, and I, I mean this is this is this is a good match for that reason. I really dig Joe Coffey's look. I dig his movement in the ring. I dig his gear. I dig his mic work. Um, Coffey he hits a German suplex bridge to pin Mastiff. It, when he starts to do it, I said to myself, "This is not happening," and then it happened. <laughs> Uh, Mastiff kicked out. It was crazy, though. Then Mastiff does the exact same thing to Joe Coffey. But Coffey ends up winning the match with a discus lariat. Because in this match, they're both big men. Mastiff is bigger. And Mastiff looks like a bull in a china shop. Um, he definitely has some agility, but he's still sort of a reckless bull. Joe Coffey looks more fine-tuned. He's, he's, more, he's more of a machine than Mastiff is. And uh, I, I'm on board for Joe Coffey. After this match, I am like really, really in on Joe Coffey. And, uh, and Joe Coffey will move on. In the next quarterfinal matchup, we will see Flash Morgan Webster, the mod father, take on Jordan Devlin, the number one star student trainee of the aforementioned Finn Balor. And as they've now been saying for 18 months, Jordan Devlin is doing everything he can to come out from underneath the shadow 
of Finn Balor. But you know what? He won't do it. <laughs> You're only saying that because his name is Devlin, which sounds very close to Finn Balor's actual name, uh, Devitt. And because he his attire looks identical to Finn Balor's attire, and his build is identical to Finn Balor's build, yeah, it's going to be kind of tough to shake that. You're going to have to at least change up your ring attire. He's he's also got the same beard and haircut. I yeah. mean, I yeah. don't... I, I hesitate to say that he's discount Ben Finn Balor. <laughs> <laughs> discount Ben Finn Balor. I... I hesitated to say it. I didn't say I wasn't going to say it. I just hesitated to say it. But he's kind of discount Ben Finn Balor. Ouch. And not untrue. Uh, Webster, though. Webster looks like... uh, It looks like... uh, (laughs) It looks like Roger Daltrey of The Who and Dean Ambrose had a child. Um, <laughs> well, he de- he definitely drove his scooter right out of the screen, right out of Quadrophenia. He did, and uh, I-, I love it, man. Like <laughs> the funny part is, of course, he doesn't actually ride a scooter, but he does have the helmet. Yeah. So it's like, why are you carrying? You can leave that helmet in your locker backstage. Yeah. But I get it. It's part of the look. Just like the coat. Uh, I thought, like, of all the guys, like, he had the most personality between him and uh, El, El Aguero. Um He actually, like, looked like, oh, I if there's a lineup of people, I can say, hey, he looks different. He's not just a guy. Um, so I appreciated his existence immediately. And I was like, well, as he's putting this into it, he doesn't have, like, the best build in the world. But, I mean, to me, he has, like, personality. That goes a long way. And I don't just mean in the dating world, ladies. <laughs> it goes a long way. It really does. I, I I think I walk away from these two nights being a very big fan of Joe Coffey and being a very big fan of Flash Morgan Webster. Why would you walk away from these two nights? Didn't you watch these at home? Did you leave your home after you watched these two events? I did. I, I, I got up from my couch and then I put my hands <laughs> next to my ears and in slow motion I walked away saying... And you can tell everybody. <laughs> uh, it's, it's such a, that is such an inside joke. I apologize, folks. In this match between Webster and Devlin, Devlin hits a Spanish fly off the top rope after both of the men almost tumble off the top rope to their deaths. Um, they <laughs> manage to recover and uh, it's a pretty sharp-looking Spanish fly. Webster kicks out of it, however, and then is immediately rewarded with his kick-out by being super-kicked by Devlin. Um, But Devlin then fails with a top-rope moonsault, and Webster hits a reeling Devlin with the Eaton rifle. And with the Eaton rifle, Webster picks up the victory. Eaton rifle, just to... Hammer Home, of course. Eaton Rifle is a song by The Jam, uh, a a latter-days mod group out of the UK. And that brings me to the point that I wanted to make about this show, about some of the references, a lot of musical references, which, I mean, they're in the UK. There's a lot of amazing music that's been coming out of the United Kingdom over the last 50, 60 years. 
but the fact that not only are all the mentions made by uh, like about the wrestlers, where they're from, what their moves are called, but also just the language and the references that are made by Mauro Ronaldo and Nigel McGuinness. Totally thrilling to me to hear mentions of the Beatles, the Who, the fucking Stone Roses, and the Jam. Talk about Kurt Angle fighting Joe Coffey in ICW. There's a mention of Exotic Adrian Street. To me, that's typical uh, Morrow, though. I mean, he'll, he'll, like, I, I'm always amazed at his knowledge of uh, wrestling maneuvers and, uh, you know, old school wrestlers. So, like, oh, shades of so and so. And it's like, wow. Fucking JBL would not have known what the fuck that was, you know? Like, oh, like, yeah. like someone who, like, is, you know, to throw back to the hazing, you know, JBL, of course, famously hazed Mara Ronaldo. Um, and it's like, man, how could you... That might be the perfect example of... Yeah, Mar Ronaldo was never a wrestler. But, man, I guarantee you he knows more about wrestling than most wrestlers in that squared circle. You know, as far as, like, being a historian and all that. I mean, this guy knows his stuff. This is, this is the, it, like, one of the best examples I can give of Mauro's knowledge. Watch this tournament. He calls moves that he should not know. And he references like English wrestlers that he should not know. It's because he's a big fan of the history of it, much like someone I know with the curly mustache that I co-host a podcast, the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, whole reference show, Darren Beasley. Even though apparently I failed to remember that Kane won a Money in the Bank. (laughs) (laughs) No. Thank you for saying that, and I agree, and I am passionate about continuity and history, things making sense, honoring the past, and you know what? Maybe I don't have checks on my bump card, but I care so much about this business and the history of this business, and Mauro Ronaldo does as well. He is an outstanding announcer, and I hope maybe next week uh, we can spend a little bit of time Uh, Talking about Bipolar Rock and Roller, the documentary uh, that aired on Showtime about Mauro Ronaldo and uh, his his battle with bipolar uh, disorder. Uh, I really would like to talk about that. Um, And I think that, uh, dear listeners, if you haven't seen it, you need to check it out. And uh, we'll talk about that more in the future. But, yeah, I wanted to take this moment to say that it is so refreshing to hear these kinds of references made on ostensibly WWE programming, right? The big leagues of wrestling, the true, the top of the mountain, this is where wrestling uh, goes to, to, to reach a global audience, to thrive. It doesn't get bigger than WWE. So to see a product that is created for that audience and broadcast to that audience that simultaneously is allowed to take place in the real universe where the Beatles exist and other wrestling companies exist. I love that. I like well-produced wrestling, big league wrestling that only the WWE can provide at that high of a level. But I like it takes place in the real universe, not simply in the WWE universe. Right. You know, I, I don't like... When Michael Cole is like, oh, that 
that's sort of like, you know, where you act like Elias is an actual musician. Like, right. no. I hate that it's so, uh, it's trapped in its own internal references to, to, to its own detriment. Anyway, it continues throughout these both of these nights, and it is a gift to us all, all of us wrestling fans. Next up, Travis Banks takes on Ashton Smith. Travis Banks defeated Ligero, and Ashton Smith defeated Joseph Connors. Travis Banks is the Kiwi buzzsaw. In this match here in the quarterfinals, Banks uh, looks like he may have broken his nose, and Smith looks like he has a legitimate arm injury. So, like, I don't know. Do these guys really hurt one another, or I don't know. I think they did hurt one another because it's a very quick match, which Banks seems in control almost the whole time, straight on through to the victory. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, especially considering that uh, Zach Gibson, uh, Jack Gallagher match. Uh, this was a this was a pretty short match. And right after they had, like in the same breath that they said Ashton Smith was a favorite and that he might be the most talented person uh, in the tournament, and <laughs> he lost. And buried. Next up, breaking away from quarterfinals action, before we get into the semifinals, there is a triple threat women's match between Tony Storm, Killer Kelly, and Isla Dawn. This is a number one contender match for the NXT women's title triple threat rules. Isla Dawn is called a modern-day witch. I thought that was pretty intense. (laughs) Aren't they all, Darren? Aren't they all? I'm kidding. Your word's not mine. I'm kidding. Your word's not mine. I've had my heart broken, ladies. I've had my heart broken. Oh, dear. That's that's for another podcast. (laughs) Uh, This match is uh, pretty short and sweet. Um in terms of a triple threat match, it's it's pretty decent. Um, it's nice, too. It, it's a nice break. Well, first of all, it's nice to have ladies competing on the show. Uh, but also, it's a triple threat match. So it's a nice break of like the typical singles match, obviously. Um, but yeah, and it's also talent you don't typically see. Tony Storm, we last saw on the uh, Mae Young Classic. She actually got pretty far in the Mae Young Classic. And I, I, I fell in love with Tony Storm during that tournament. Um, I thought she was great and was very surprised they didn't sign her. I guess they felt they had enough athletic, blonde-looking women on the roster at that point. I don't know, but uh, very glad to see that she is back. Uh, and I hate to say this, but, I mean, how do I say this? It's a good match. I enjoy the match. Killer Kelly uh, and Isla Dawn do a, do a fine job. But Tony Storm is a very good wrestler. And just, you can tell, is just on a, on a higher level than the other two. Uh, but obviously, you only get better at playing tennis by playing people who are better at tennis than you are. Um, but I mean, it's it's very obvious that it's like, yeah, Tony Storm has done this a lot. Like she is she is very good at what she does. She is better at tennis. Exactly. <laughs> Clearly, she is better at tennis. Killer Kelly, Killer Kelly, representing Portugal, will actually have a a better match or a better showing, in my opinion, in terms of what she offers uh, on night two. Um, and Isla Dawn, this is the first time I've ever seen Isla Dawn before, and. She, uh, representing Scotland, uh, with her red hair, is uh, uh, brings a different look to the ring, and uh, I, I'm a fan. This is not the first time we've seen Isla Dawn. <laughs> she actually wrestled um, under another name, I think her real name, 
on as other Raw or SmackDown, but she wrestled on just on WWE, just as like basically. What? Yeah, she was basically uh, just put into a match and beaten. Like, like Holla did. Holla did wrestled on uh, WWE against Bayley. Um, obviously not in the face paint, you know, was not called Holla dead, but they typically do that where they'll take a local indie person and say, hey, you're on. You're going to make so-and-so look good. So I forget what her name was on uh, on either that Raw or that SmackDown. Uh, but, no, she has appeared once before on uh, television. I wanted to say that before one of the fans did, Darren. I had to, I got your back, okay? I got your back. Yeah. In the end, Tony Storm does win this match with the Storm Zero. She pins Isla Dawn. Which Mauro and all didn't know what it was. Was it either Mauro or I forget who? Either Mauro or Nigel. But the um, like, I think Mauro calls it what it actually is, like what the move is called if it's not someone's finishing maneuver. And uh, Nigel has to run in and go, it's Storm Zero, of course. Her finisher, Storm Zero. Um, so he kind of covers Morrow on that one. Much like I covered yeah. you when you said Isle of Dawn was a stranger to us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your Nigel, Morrow. I'm your Nigel. I'm over here, Darren. We're having a good time at ROH. And I will love... Uh, when Morrow <laughs> called an ROH that one time. <laughs> we'll never forget. Never forget. And after all... We're only making plans for Nigel. Yes. That's an that's an ecstasy song. Oh. Ecstasy Ex- as in as in dear God? Is that the same yeah. XTC? XTC. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, they only have <laughs> those two songs, that's it. <laughs> Next, Triple H comes out. And you know what? More than ever, uh like Bow down to the king is so appropriate. Like because the motorhead. Once Vince, yeah, once Vince McMahon is uh, is out of the way, and Triple H really is the end all be all, whether it's NXT or Raw or SmackDown. Once that transition is fully made, and he's never getting back in the ring, because uh, I definitely prefer the game when he's coming out to wrestle. But man, when he is the boss to come out to you know. The King of Kings, bow down to the king. It, couldn't be it really couldn't be better for music. But anyway, Triple H comes out to that music, brings out Johnny Saint, uh, British wrestling legend. And uh, along with Johnny Saint, Triple H announces the creation of NXT UK. So NXT UK, as, uh, as we here at the Whole Reffin Show the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. As we teased on our Instagram, uh, the creation of NXT UK is official. A UK brand of its own. A second NXT company with its own tag division, its own women's division. And like I said, the title that Pete Dunne is currently holding on top of the division. Now, will they rebrand it? the NXT UK title, or will it remain the WWE UK title? That I do not know. Which they're making good yeah. on their promise to have a UK uh, organization, uh, which they talked about doing last year. We joked about it ever since. Like, it's <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like the end of Running Man, 
where they talk about all the all the people who have won the Running Man contest, but it's actually all their skeletons in the locker room because they were killed. And we said that that's what they did to the UK competitors. All these great wrestlers, you'll see it. It cuts to all of their dead bodies in their wrestling attire in the locker room. Oh, no. <laughs> so does that, does that mean that Arnold Schwarzenegger, Hall of, WWE Hall of Famer, right. Arnold Schwarzenegger, does that mean that he's going to show up and say, Tony Storm's finisher was Storm Zero, now Plane Zero. Yes, and I hope I hope he does say that. I, I would not uh, put it past Vince McMahon to be that evil, by the way. But continue on, continue on. So Johnny Saint, also, he's uh, he's named uh, the GM of this new brand, correct? Which that is, is correct. Which is very funny because it doesn't matter if it's NXT or NXT UK, the GM is very British. Uh. <laughs> very much so, very much so. Yeah. And actually, the NXT UK shows have begun this week, and they will be carrying on through the rest of the summer. NXT UK dates all over England, and an NXT UK television show is to follow soon. On to the semifinals, back into the UK Championship Tournament which we now know is the NXT UK Championship Tournament. Flash Morgan Webster back in the ring taking on Zach Gibson. This is the Modfather versus Liverpool's number one. Webster opens the match with a running knee lift that pops the crowd and the announcers. Uh, During the entrances, both Morrow and Nigel are already giving the victory to Zach Gibson, and yet... (laughs) Webster surprises everyone with that running knee lift. Then Webster does this swing. Like he grabs the top of the ring post, swings around it on the outside into a head scissors takedown on Gibson. I was like, what? So like there, we really got to see Webster shine as a wrestler. I I liked Webster's uh, offense and uh, they do mention throughout this match or maybe the match before he had, um, that he basically couldn't afford wrestling school, so he basically trained himself at home how to be a wrestler. Um, and we talked about this many times in the show where it's always cool when not everyone went to the goddamn performance center, so not everyone does the same kind of headlock or wrist lock or, you know, <laughs> Boston Crab, whatever you want to do. So it's always nice to see people who are trained by other people. They're their, their style is going to be just a little different from typical, which is great because it adds a variety to matches, and it's always a breath of fresh air. Man, you said it, a variety, a breath of fresh air, something unique, something that looks less choreographed. Right. Looks you know, more they got, real, if yeah. you will. Wow. Imagine that. What a novel idea. Yeah. Some, something that is more believable. Hmm. Well, uh, this is where we first see Zach Gibson use the Helter Skelter which is like this uh, cradle spinning suplex. He does it on Webster on the outside onto the ramp. And uh, the ramp is black and it blends in with the rest of the floor. And it's not until, as Mitch Hedberg would say, you're going to hit the ground earlier <sighs> that you see Webster slam uh, onto that ramp and go, oh, there's a, <laughs> there's a ramp there. Yeah, I think uh, it, was, it was all metal. Um, and it was actually covered with a carpet because at one point wrestlers go on the outside and they do a move and someone's foot like 
gets caught up in the carpet. Like, it pulls the carpet up, and it's like, oh, that entire area is carpeted. That's interesting. Unfortunately for the mod father, there is uh, no Eaton rifle able to be drawn here, and the Shankly Gate will close on Webster. Zach Gibson will win this match by locking in that wicked-ass arm submission, and uh, Webster is out of here. And next up, Travis Banks will take on Joe Coffey. Joe Coffey still looking like a million dollars, but fighting hurt. I thought that the Joe Coffey-Dave Mastiff match was a slugfest. Nope. This is a slugfest. Um, we learned that Banks was trained by Masato Tanaka. And here's another example. Morrow mentions the Mike Awesome Masato Tanaka matches from ECW, and he says all of those things. He says Mike Awesome. He says Masato Tanaka. He says ECW. And he says how you can go watch it on the WWE Network. Michael Cole doesn't do stuff like that. No, he does not. Well, And at, at this point, it's ECW, but WWF, WWE owns ECW, so it's all advertising for the network. Anytime you reference things, even if they didn't happen on WWE television, if you own the library, it's all just advertising for the WWE network. And I mean, Michael Cole is a robot who will just say what he is told, and that's his job, and I totally get that. But I love that Morrow has that fresh voice. He has that fresh perspective. He sounds the way he does. The mama mia. Um, there's no Michael Cole chant. Everyone knows that. Uh, so <laughs> there you go. No, but there is a very healthy mama mia chant. There is, absolutely. They're either very big ABBA fans or they're really big Mara Ranala fans. That's right, folks. An ABBA reference on our show, I think. Yeah, episode 90. It took us 90 episodes, but we did it, Darren. Did we haven't mentioned ABBA before? Uh, probably we have. Anyway. <laughs> At one point in this match, Joe Coffey hits a, a battering ram, uh, which is a very, very cool-looking head-first spear. One of the coolest moves I saw on either night of, uh, of this special. Um, excellent. I want to see that. I, again, I want to see Joe Coffey more and more, and I want to see the battering ram more and more. Banks ends up winning the match, however, with a roll-up pin. Um, and a very, very upset Joe Coffey dismantles uh, the Kiwi buzzsaw, Travis Banks, after the victory announcement. And Joe Coffey lets us know, you know, earlier on the microphone and here with his fists that he is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, uh, two things about this. Uh, one... Buzzsaw is a very cool nickname, much like Tajiri is the Japanese Buzzsaw. Uh, R.I.P. Tajiri. He's still with us, but his <laughs> he's no longer wrestling for WWE, so it'd be hard to find Tajiri. Um, but if you're called the Kiwi Buzzsaw, it doesn't sound quite as cool. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, but also, I don't like this because it's way too much like the first UK tournament where Tyler Bate was severely injured going into the final match. So I, I didn't like that aspect. I was like, oh, so it's just the same setup for the final. Uh, anyway, I, I didn't appreciate that. I understand. I understand. Well, now that we have our main event for the evening set, with Travis Banks uh, set to face Zach Gibson in the tournament final, we're going to take another little break. 
and we're going to have British Strong Style take on the Undisputed Era in a six-man tag. British Strong Style, of course, being Tyler Bate and Trent Seven, known collectively as Mustache Mountain, and UK champion Pete Dunne joining them, the three of them known as British Strong Style, with Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and Roderick Strong representing the Undisputed Era. This is very cool. These six guys in, in this match together, and NXT Tag Gold, North American Championship, UK Championship, a lot of personalities, a lot of excellent wrestling skill, a lot of gold. Very cool how over Undisputed Era is in uh, the UK, considering they're fighting like three of the most over uh, <laughs> you know, UK folk in wrestling. Oh, yeah. I think that British Strong Style are the favorites here, but all six of these guys are loved. Oh, yeah. All of them are very, very over. Um, and there is excellent synchronicity in this match. I hesitate to use the word choreography, so let's go with the word timing, because nothing looks too polished, but it does look stunning. Like, it, it looks like excellent fight choreography. You know, again, I hate to use the word choreography. It sounds too predetermined, too much like a dance, which at no point does this match feel that way. This feels like a real fight. It's, it's presented in such a way that you can't believe six men are fighting each other with this fluidity. Right. Really cool. Uh, Tyler Bate hitting the fireman's carry airplane spin, like double move, just makes Tyler Bate look that much more amazing. Then, uh, combining with Trent Seven, Mustache Mountain hits uh, Bate. Bate hits the lariat while Seven does the dragon suplex. And this tag team finisher finishes Kyle O'Reilly and British Strong Style win the match. And uh, all that means is we're going to see a version of this match on night two, a.k.a. night four. <laughs> but before our main event, Shawn Michaels makes his way to the ring. And this is the first extended look at Shawn Michaels' lack of ponytail that we've seen. And it is, it's different. It is, uh, he looks like a very, very different man. But if you squint and, and don't look too closely, the way that he moves down the ramp and when he gets in the ring, dude still hasn't lost a step. Right. I mean, I could swear it's 25 years ago and I'm watching Shawn Michaels prance to the ring being the sexy boy. Uh, it's really, really pretty wild. <laughs> um, Morrow mentions the Rockers taking on the Nasty Boys in 1991. Uh, as Shawn Michaels comes to the ring, the whole crowd and all of their chanting glory uh, hit Shawn Michaels with the one more match chant. He says, you guys have got to stop doing that. <laughs> and really, other than Michaels putting over NXT UK and putting over the locker room, I didn't really see the point in this happening. But... Um, he was any, there. <laughs> they were like, ah, throw him out there. Well, exactly. I mean, if anything, it's a, it's a neat little reminder that, hey, HBK is a full-time employee again. He's helping Triple H keep this brand super fresh and super hot, you know? Um, he's doing he's doing what Raw and SmackDown cannot do. <laughs> and now, the UK Championship Tournament Final 2 
decide the number one contender to Pete Dunne's UK Championship. Travis Banks, the Kiwi Buzzsaw, taking on Liverpool's number one, Zach Gibson. Uh, much to your chagrin, Perry, Banks is definitely working hurt. Oh, yeah. Really playing up the taped-up shoulder and chest. Oh, here's another cool thing. Nigel McGuinness calls Drake Works by his name. Here we are in the era where the referees do, na- do not get called by name. Oh, yeah, the Drake. And yet Nigel calling Drake by name, I thought, one, good for Drake. And two, here we are again. Wrestling in a real universe, not in the WWE universe. Zach Gibson finishes what has got to have felt like a very, very long night for himself and Travis Banks with a victory. He is Liverpool's number one. He is not this crowd's number one. Boy, they about have booed him out of the building (laughs) repeatedly. But he takes the New Zealander Travis Banks to the limit and beyond, and gets the win. Zach Gibson finishes the night as the tourney champion, headed on to take a shot at the title on the following night. Yeah, it's a little sad that, I mean, he wins the the tournament, and that's great, but, I mean, Tyler Bate got the title when he won the tournament last time. This time's like, hey, good on you. He doesn't even get a trophy? Nothing. It's just like, all right, see you tomorrow for a chance. You won a chance to win. Uh, hey, it's better than nothing. It's true. It's true. And as this night ends, they are going to change the WWE branding officially to the NXT UK branding, and the white ring apron becomes black, and the ropes go from red to yellow. And now the NXT UK Championship Network Special Night 2 of 2, a.k.a. Night 4 of 4, Filmed on the 19th of June, airing on the 26th of June, from the Royal Albert Hall in London, England. Here we have the conclusion of the NXT UK Championship. Up first, Mustache Mountain, Tyler Bate and Trent Seven, not with their British strong style compatriot, Pete Dunne, who will be wrestling later, take on the Undisputed Era Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong without their compatriot, Adam Cole, baby. Who will be wrestling later. Yes, he will. I thought for sure you would have said that. I I thought I knew you, Darren. O'Reilly and Strong will be putting their NXT Tag Team titles on the line in this match. Uh, Talk about in sync. (laughs) Mustache Mountain are so in sync with each other. Uh, with their silver satin jackets, their white boots, their uh, lack of knee pads, uh, their pretty boy haircuts, and their mustaches. They are absolutely excellent. And the Undisputed Era, I, I know they've been working this, but like more than ever, were very NWO-like. With O'Reilly playing his championship belt. Right, he typically and- does that, yeah. And, and to see and, and to hear that music, it's like the Undisputed Era's music does not sound like the NWO music, but it feels like the NWO music. Yeah, I used to not really be a fan of their theme, um, but the more I hear it, and I love that Adam Cole, before he gets in the ring, he kind of faces the crowd and waits for the boom part. 
so we can point at his title and he says boom with the the music i like that a lot there will never be another nwo and if there were it was called the bullet club <laughs> right but there is something very neat about undisputed era uh not neat enough to retain their titles yeah big big upset here i mean obviously the crowd's not upset because it's like hey now we get the titles but yeah NXT titles are dropped to Mustache Mountain. Yeah, this is this is a big victory for the for the English crowd. You know, the the homeboys, Mustache Mountain, taking the gold uh, away from the undisputed era. Uh, it was pretty pretty surprising, I will say. Next up, Killer Kelly is in action again here on night two, aka night four, taking on Charlie Morgan. Now. In a good way, and I mean this in the best way, this has a very amateur wrestling or MMA-like feel to it. First of all, both girls with their uh, hair in braids, very MMA hair. Both of them with mouth guards, which is very MMA move. Um, I like it. It's very different than Monday Night Raw, where they all see who can have the biggest lion's manes of hair uh, and in all the colors of the rainbow, right? These girls look like they came to fight. Yes, and I don't, uh, I don't deny their spirits on that particular night, though. I don't think these two had their best match. Um, I mean, we haven't really seen a lot of either one of these two. We've seen Killer Kelly once at this point, um, but I think a lot of people kind of commented on this match as kind of like a. Ah, <laughs> things not quite going as planned. A lot of miscommunications in it. There, there are some good parts, but for the most part, it's like, uh, especially when you see the the uh, Shayna uh, Baszler uh, Tony Storm match, which is just phenomenal. Um, then this match is kind of quickly forgotten. But uh, you know, obviously, they're going to get better and better and better. So I look forward to seeing more of them in the future. But Charlie Morgan does score the victory here against Killer Kelly. Next up, we have. What has been billed as a triple threat match between Mark Andrews, Travis Banks, the Kiwi Buzzsaw, <laughs> and Flash Morgan Webster. But Johnny Saint, the new GM of the new NXT UK brand, comes out to make it a fatal four-way. But he, he actually calls it a four-way fatal match. He does. Yes, he does. And that's a very different thing. A fatal four-way. <laughs> the fatal as an adjective just is like, oh, go on with your fatal. Right. But when you put it afterward, it sounds like somebody's got to die. <laughs> right. So we have a four-way fatal match uh, to determine the number one contender to the WWE UK title. Who is that fourth man? None other than the Champagne Supernova, the Scottish Supernova, Noam Dar, making his return after a six-month absence, sitting on the shelf because of injury. Noam Dar returning to the islands he calls home. And in the best shape of his life, too. <laughs> that guy looked like he was chiseled out of marble. Um, so, I mean, this is a really good match. Like, to me, this was a better showing out of all these guys than what you saw during the actual tournament. Like, I thought this was great. I thought it was a really good match. Uh, everyone looks super strong. I don't like that the winner of this match becomes number one contender after the, the main event of the night, which is Zach Gibson, who won the fucking tournament. 
fighting Pete Dunne for the title. Like, oh, you guys didn't win this grueling tournament, but here's a here's just a match. If you win it, you become you basically get what the winner of the tournament got. It's so it's kind of like oh, that's okay. That that kind of makes Zach Gibson's victory look not as important already. So. Well, I completely agree, and the fact that it's even more convoluted by the fact that it started out as a singles match and then became a triple threat match and then became a four-way fatal match. Right, and who and who gets it? One of the new guys? No, someone who's been with WWE for the last year. Uh, so it's like, oh, great. So business as usual here at NXT UK. <laughs> That's true. But if it, if it had to be one of those guys, I'm glad it was Noam Dar because I said it a year ago. I've said it, or I said it 18 months ago, and I've continued to say it And on this night as well. I'm just not a fan of Mark Andrews. Like, there's nothing. There's He's not communicating to me through his wrestling. He works so hard. He slaves over a hot ring, and you can't I, you can't appreciate him. No, he's he's easily my least favorite wrestler in this match. Um, but I, <laughs> but I but I do think he put on a good match with these other three individuals for sure. Um, I like Webster a lot. He might be my favorite out of everyone who competed in the tournament. Um, but uh, Noam Dar, I'll take him. I thought he was great. I mean, I've I've always liked Noam Dar, um, who we met through the what CWC is that where he first showed up. And uh, like I said, he looks like a million bucks. He, like I said, best shape of his life. He has very unique offense. I love the shin kicks that he does. Um, but those are really, uh, those are very different. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy with him going over and him versus whoever wins later on uh, will be a very good match. Yeah. Um, and like you said earlier, this match itself was very good. And it, it felt incredibly organic for a fatal four-way match, which never feel that way. Right. This is as good as a four-way match could ever be. Um, I will say that all four men put in the work to make this good. It didn't suffer all the tropes of a normal fatal four-way. So good on all four of the guys for that. Now, Dar not only gets the win, but he's also the only one who avoids getting his ass kicked by Joe Coffey and his brother Mark Coffey, who hit the ring after the match and start devastating. (laughs) Noam Dar is able to escape, but the Coffey brothers uh, really take it to Andrews, Banks, and Webster. And uh, like I said... (laughs) And if ever you need legal advice, folks, you can always trust the firm of... (laughs) Andrews, Banks, and Webster. <laughs> the law, true. yes, contact the law offices of Andrews, Banks, and Webster. Now, the Undisputed Era, they don't want to go across the pond and be completely humiliated. So Adam Cole, baby, <laughs> your NXT North American champion, has to defend against Wolfgang of Scotland, the crowd, which probably should be behind Wolfgang, is 100% behind Adam Cole. Yep, (laughs) I noticed that too. And yet, Wolfgang dominates most of the match. Wolfgang uh, really takes it to Adam Cole. But in the end, Cole is able to maintain control long enough to defeat Wolfgang 
with the last shot, which is a running exposed knee strike, hits Wolfgang right in the back of the head and pins him. So Adam Cole, baby, retaining that North American championship. Yeah, he's super over in that audience. Um, they won't let him leave until he does the Adam Cole Bebe thing again. <laughs> They're like, one more time. So he's like, huh? One more time? Okay. Uh, Adam Cole, baby. <laughs> All right, this is what well, you guys now, want. Well, now that NXT UK is branded, Triple H uh, taking every opportunity to make this very NXT USA heavy uh, as far as a card goes. Because before we get to that main event, we still have two more NXT matches. Uh, and they're both pretty excellent. First up, Alistair Black, your NXT champion, is forced to tag with Ricochet to take on another unlikely duo of EC3 and Velveteen Dream. Enough ego between the latter two guys to fill up the Royal Albert Hall to overflowing. (laughs) Well, now they know how many egos it takes to fill the Albert Hall. (laughs) Uh, Somebody somebody needs to tell Zach Gibson about that one. (laughs) Side note, folks. Beatles reference. Continue, Darren. So, I know that EC3 was, was trained in NXT, the old, old, old version of NXT, And yet, I guess all his days in TNA, he wrestles very differently. And Aleister Black and Ricochet, they also bring their own uh, shticks. And Velveteen Dream, he can wrestle anyone. But these are four very different guys. The thing about Uh, it, I mean, they all come from very different backgrounds. I mean, Velveteen Dream uh, is one of the few people you could actually say, like, is... Uh, performance center trained like that's where he got at least 80 percent of his training for sure ricochet has been on the indies for over a decade uh alistair black you know obviously did all this stuff overseas and and got all this training there ec3 you know obviously worked wwe for a while uh long stint in the impact wrestling so i mean they all have just very four different styles so watching all the styles clash uh, in the ring was actually uh, really really cool to see, um, and they both make they both make uh, very good teams. And I wish NXT would do more of this kind of thing. Like I, I wish you would see like this is a match you would typically see on Raw, but like in a good way. Like like this is like this is like a little appetizer before the pay per view. You know what I mean? That you would get. So uh, well, actually, it's hard, for, it's hard for NXT to do it with only one hour of television. I know, absolutely, absolutely, but it's it's. Well, just, you're absolutely right. It's very cool to see something like like you know getting kind of changed up like this. This in a tag format is it just leads to a bunch of cool maneuvers and and interesting storytelling and yeah you don't you don't know why but eventually the team of EC3 and Velveteen Dream kind of deteriorate as the match goes on, which leads EC3. Uh, wondering where you go in Velveteen, why Aleister Black is waiting behind him, ready to hit him with the black mask for about 20 minutes. Because at first, Aleister Black is pointing at EC3 from behind, and then realizes that EC3 is taking way too long. He finally puts his finger down and just kind of waits, <laughs> like, turn around, turn around. Uh, <laughs> it, is, it was nice to see uh, the, the slow deterioration uh, of the heels here, which I can only assume is going to lead to a feud between 
uh, Ethan Carter the third, and yes, I still mark out for the fact that they let him keep the gimmick of being Dixie Carter's nephew. <laughs> I, 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 I still can't believe that, but that that alone makes me happy. But I, I can't wait to see the feud that is likely to develop now between EC3 and the Velveteen Dream. And I cannot overstate how all of NXT wrestling makes me happy. You know, NXT wrestling, it includes people who might be too green. It includes a lot of different styles, especially now that you're bringing in people who are finished wrestlers like Ricochet and Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. And even despite the botches that happen, because these people aren't used to wrestling each other every single Monday on Raw, you know, and their styles may not be uh, conducive to one another, but that's a good thing because it all makes the product look more real. Right. You know, and so I cannot overstate how excited I am about matches like this. And in this excellent match, Aleister Black and Ricochet do get the victory. Shayna Baszler, the NXT Women's Champion, does not get the luxury of not defending her title and being in a tag team match like the men's champion, Aleister Black. No, Shayna Baszler has to defend her championship against Tony Storm, who earned the right on the previous night. Now, Tony Storm, not a great interview. We said so many really great things about her earlier, and I stand by all of them. Not necessarily a great interview. Um, I thought it was fine. I didn't. I didn't watch it and go, huh? I thought it was no, fine. I, I didn't watch it and go, huh? Either. I watched <laughs> it. I watched it and saw her not say anything. Okay. Which is that her fault, or is that Kathy Kelly's fault? You know, like, was it one of those odd situations where you front load the question so the the person who has to answer it really can only say yes or no? I don't know who's who's to blame here, but it truly sounded like Tony Storm was just saying, I am a wrestler. <laughs> I have a match. I will wrestle right. a match. Hey, and she's wonderful. You lay off a of Tony Storm. Because one day we're going to get married, and it is going to be so awkward for you. <laughs> now, I do mean that everything else about Tony Storm is excellent. I'm a big fan. But Shayna Baszler, she is an excellent crossover talent. Um, she really is. Um, th- th- this this might be her best match that she's had so far. This match is actually excellent. Well, right. And it's excellent as a wrestling match. But it's so much more excellent because of what is sort of caught up in the character of Shayna Baszler. We talked at the very beginning of today's episode about Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn, uh, how Shamrock and Severn, especially Severn, always retained that sort of like outsider feel slash like air of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what Shayna Baszler has. But Shayna, much like Ken Shamrock, is not only does she is she able to maintain that air of legitimacy, but she also folds into wrestling itself seamlessly. 
No, it works. It's like watching Kyle O'Reilly, who who you can't help but notice all the MMA training kind of show up and and the the footwork and the and the the grappling. Same with Shannon Baszler. Like it just looks different. And again, it's more of that variety. Um, and like Ronda Rousey's got that going for it too, which I also appreciate about Ronda Rousey. Um, so now watching a Shayna Baszler match, is it Baszler or is it Baser? Because they, re- they referred to her as Baser several times. And I was like, have I been saying it wrong or ha- are they saying it wrong right now? Uh, well, by they, you mean the ring announcer. Because I'm pretty sure that Morrow and, and Nigel... No, they both say Baser. No. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was even more confused. I was like, wait, a, what? there's an L, I, right? I'm not confused. I know that the, the ring announcer, who I've never... I don't know that ring announcer... On both nights, he definitely said Baser. Uh, well, I don't know. It, it could be I, it could be a, a European thing. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure they said uh, Baser. And I was like, but, but there's no, an L. That doesn't make any sense because an L like that, a single L. Here we go, folks. Place, <laughs> what's that? I said, here we go, folks. Well, remember this was supposed to be a damn linguistics podcast. This is true. All along. And then 90 episodes later, we finally get into linguistics. Yeah. Episode 91, all about the word frog. Um, <laughs> Zero hits. With the, with the L there, there's no way it would never be silent. So it cannot be It cannot be that it's pronounced Baser. Okay. I was just making sure I, I, I wasn't very- having like some sort of aneurysm. When I was watching the match, <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure they're saying Baser right now. So anyway, just wanted to address yeah, they, that. You, you definitely heard them right. Okay. But I didn't realize that Morrow and Nigel McGinnis were saying it that way. That sucks. I know at um, least Nigel said it. So I go, I'll go back and watch it again. But I, so I'm glad you caught it also because I felt like I was going crazy. Oh, no. You definitely were not. Uh, this is a great match. Both of these women are very talented. Shayna Baszler, and I'm going to say it with an L until I'm prove until it's proven differently <laughs> uh, Shayna Baszler gets the Kirafuda clutch on Storm in the ring um, which is uh, it's such a such a devastating looking chokehold but Storm is able to get to the rope break right and then uh, Shayna Baszler puts the the Kirafuda clutch on immediately again on the outside and uh, at that point uh, I guess Shayna Baszler fears that she's going to get counted out. So she leaves Tony Storm on the outside and rolls in, which causes Tony Storm to lose the match by countout. I like that ending, but I would have loved the ending had she just kept the hold on her the entire time. Double countout. Obviously, uh, Shayna Baszler retains her title because double countout. No title changes hands. They both lose. But it would have been more of a heel way to do it. I mean, but... The, the way she did it was more like strategic because she threw a submission on on the outside. I would have loved it more if she waited until like an eight count to let go and then got sure. back into the ring. I, th- I thought that would have worked a little bit better because I think she drops it at like four or five and gets into the ring. So Yeah, she dropped it kind of early. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But I'm glad she did drop it because, yeah, it might have been more like a dastardly heel to stay, to keep it locked in uh, and get double count out. But this makes her look smarter. Right, exactly, and, yeah. And, and that's a good thing. But 
As a result of Tony Storm's being counted out, Shayna Baszler retains her championship. And that leaves us with the main event of the NXT UK Championship Tournament Weekend. The conclusion, the main event of four nights of wrestling that have led us to this UK title defense. Champion Pete Dunne takes on Liverpool's number one and tournament winner, Zach Gibson. Personally, I'm not that excited about Gibson. How do you feel at this stage? How do you feel about Zach Gibson? I'm glad you said that uh, (laughs) because beginning of night one, a.k.a. night three, I thought, man, if there's anyone that I don't care about, it's Zach Gibson. So, of course, he goes on to beat Jack Gallagher and then, of course, went on to win the whole thing. (laughs) It was just like, him? Um, so no, I, I'm glad you said that, but I, I was still very impressed by him at this match. I thought he did a very good job in this particular match with Pete Dunne, but it goes back to my original point of Pete Dunne can have a really good match with anybody. So, well, the UK crowd hates him. They take their shoe him. off. They take their shoe off, uh, to show how much they hate him. Yes. In that heel way that you want to be hated, they absolutely hate him. So... The crowd is way, way hot for this match. That also adds to it. And like you said, this might be Gibson's best performance. Maybe it's because of Pete Dunne. Maybe not. Because what we do see, Gibson's offense is pretty pretty awesome in this match. He's a very good, believable striker. We see more like striking out of Gibson in this match than in the previous tournament matches. Maybe he kept his best stuff for this match. Probably so. Now, the Shankly Gates, his uh, his finisher, that arm submission that I keep talking about, that is a really good hold. Looks looks good, yes. It looks uh, believable, believably painful, as any good hold should. It, it really does. And, um, you know, I, I the one thing, like I said, I, I opened with the fact that I didn't love Zach Gibson. Even if I did... That would have no bearing on another glaring reality, which is I never for one second feared that Pete Dunne would lose. <laughs> Does that make sense? No, like, no, no. I, I, I got you there, yeah. And, and, and again, I don't it, know it's, if it's because it's Pete Dunne, or I don't know if it's because it was Zach Gibson. Right, and it goes back to what I was kind of hinting at earlier, which I couldn't say because we didn't know who was going to win the tournament at this point. Um, because I'll go ahead and say it. He, well, you basically just said it. He loses the match to Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne does retain his UK championship. So I feel kind of bad for Zach Gibson because he wins the tournament, doesn't win a trophy or a title. He just wins contendership, number one contendership for Pete Dunne's title, and then loses to Pete Dunne literally the next night, a.k.a. the fourth night. Um, so it's kind of like, well, thanks for coming, Zach Gibson. I mean, obviously he'll be on the NXT UK brand, so you know he'll, he'll have job security, which is nice. But it felt kind of like, well, that was remember that time you lost eventually. Um, <laughs> um, there, there is a part during the match where they're both in the outside wrestling, um, and there's a there's a ten count, um, which gets to about seven. It, it's like one of those they both get in at nine kind of a things. And remember, Pete Dunne is the champion during this match. This isn't to win the tournament. So there, there is a belt up for grabs. Um, when they're trying to get into the ring, uh, Gibson like, try, like, tries to shove 
Pete Dunne, like, like maybe try to stop him from getting in the ring on time, but it's like, you idiot. If he gets counted out, he loses the match. He doesn't lose the title. And to me, that was kind of like, no, you don't have the ring psychology, kid. That wouldn't make any sense. And there's actually another time he does something kind of like that. That was kind of like, ah, uh, you should know better than that. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so maybe I just had this prejudice against him because I didn't like him from go. Even though his finishing maneuvers and special moves are all named after Beatles songs for the most part, I, I can get behind that, so I will give him some credit. And he, he did turn me around with this match where I thought he was uh, more impressive than I had originally given him credit for. You know, one of the weirdest things when you really look at the big picture here of this whole WWE UK adventure is that at the last tournament, Dunn was the A number one heel. Oh, absolutely. And now he is a super over babyface on this night. Oh, yeah. Dunn was causing all kinds of trouble. Like, he was the only, like, story element of the entire tournament. And he went into the Tyler Bate fight. I think he was the reason Tyler Bate was so injured. I don't recall anymore. But, I mean, like after the first night, Dunn just attacked his opponent for the next night. Like, at the very end of the first night. And it was like... William Regal had to get involved and be like, don't you ever do that again. This is my show and all that stuff. And like, it was great. It was the only time where it was like, oh, we're actually building characters for a show that's going to happen eventually. So yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of that except for the stuff with the coffee brothers. Um, There wasn't a ton of story elements to it. So it's going to be kind of like starting fresh as far as the show goes, where it's like, and now these two guys wrestle. Oh, now they really hate each other. You know what I mean? So there's not a whole lot going into the the starting of the series, if you will. Uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see which direction it goes. I'm looking forward to seeing people like Flash Morgan Webster uh, and the Coffee Brothers, and uh, really let's see how all of these characters develop. Uh, I don't know who all's under contract and and who will be. Also interesting to see what British stars that are in the U.S. NXT that are on 205 Live, Raw or SmackDown, does anybody get permanently transferred over to the NXT UK just because of the you know the, the their Britishness? Poor William Regal was like, ooh, I get to go home and be in NXT? No? Uh, Johnny Saint? Okay, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah, I, honestly, I, at this point, after 25 years, I'm pretty sure... Atlanta, Georgia, and Orlando, Florida are more home to William Regal than, <laughs> than, than, than Blackpool, England. But. Take take that, England. Um, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Yeah, so that was it. I mean, again, two nights that were televised, even though it was, again, four nights. Um, really enjoyable, really fun. It's always nice to see uh, wrestling. We, we love our tournaments here at the Whole Ref and Show. And uh, we really enjoyed uh, what we saw. Did you enjoy what you saw, folks? Let us know. There's a lot of ways you can let us know. Find us on Twitter, at Podcast. That's R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Find us on Facebook, like, and share. We'd appreciate it. Uh, send us a Gmail at thewholereffinshow at gmail.com. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Or... Or you can find us on Instagram at The Whole Refin Show. We've got all kinds of pretty pictures. Come look at them, like them, leave comments. Uh, send us links to other pictures. Send uh, our pictures in links to yet other people. And if you're someone a- who doesn't even really 
listen to our show but just follows us on Instagram. And every time we post a picture, you put, hey, look at my profile. That gets a little irritating. <laughs> yeah, that does. You need to block that guy, Darren. He's getting on my nerves. I don't even run the fucking Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're getting blocked. You're getting blocked, kid. But only you. Only you're getting blocked. Everybody else, hey. Only it's- you. <laughs> it's a party, so come play so come play on Instagram with the whole reference show. Wonderful. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed our coverage of the NXT UK tournament, and we hope you did enjoy it. A lot of good stuff in there. There's so much NXT influence and the UK influence. It makes it just a little bit different. And, uh, yeah, it was great. Go check it out if you haven't done that yet, folks. And whatever you do, please check us out next week where I will be Perry Smith. And I will be the incredible badass that is Darren Beasley. And we will do what we do best, which is call it right down the middle, on the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole reffin' show. Bye-bye, folks. Yeah.